0: Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll reveal how you can be on our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. So let's get started. Mike Domish, you are the president and founder of the Center for Respect and can be found at centerforrespect.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Doug. So what you do, I think, is absolutely fascinating. Tell us a little bit about who you are, your background, and what the Center of Respect is all about.
1: So the Center for Respect, what I do is I provide programs, keynotes, trainings, workshops, on living a life of respect. And we do that from everything from middle schools, high schools, universities, US military, all over the world, and for corporations and businesses. Now, when it comes to corporations and businesses, they tend to bring me into how do we create respect in our everyday relationships in the workplace. When it comes to many of the other groups I just talked about, they want me to talk about sexual respect. They want to reduce sexual assault, sexual violence from happening by building healthy relationships. So instead of a, hey, don't do this, don't do that, they bring me in to say, hey, here's what it looks like to be in a healthy situation. Here are the skills and the strategies we can all do, even as parents, to help our kids around these conversations. And and you asked about the background. You know, you don't grow up in the <laughs> 1970s and 80s thinking I'm gonna speak on respect for a living. Right. What happened was I was a college student in 1989. I received a phone call that the youngest of my older sisters had been raped. Ooh. Yeah. And that would change everything, Doug. From that moment on, I went from a place of pain and then I heard a speaker while in college and thought, wait, I can do something about this. I can use my voice. And that was, I was 19 at the time. And when I was 20, 21, I started speaking out. And here we are 32, 33 years later.
0: Wow. And uh, I mean, I think about all the good you've probably done over all these years. teaching. Oh, I
1: appreciate that.
0: Teaching kids how to be healthy around yeah, each we've been other. we
1: fortunate. We've, we estimate we've reached over a million people uh, probably between our audiences, way more than that on media, but actual live events.
0: What do you think makes, you, makes what you do unique? What is it about you that, Makes you unique about this?
1: Yeah, our clients say there's a few things specifically why they hire me and don't do other some online learning or bring in different speakers and they bring in me. Number one is I'm highly interactive. So I'm coming in and I'm asking the audience questions and how they answer is how I drive the conversation. Mm -hmm. Now that's critical because most people, when they go to programs discussing topics like mine, they think it's going to be stats driven. They think it's going to be a do not. They think they're going to shame and guilt you based on what you've done in the past. And I'm the opposite. I'm like, hey, do people ask or do they not? And they're like, no, nobody asks. Well, why not? And then we explore that, break down the barriers and give new options. So that's number one. The other major reason is they're like, Mike, no matter what happens in that room, we know you've got it covered. So with topics like this, the audience can get very uncomfortable. They can push back. They can, oh, yeah. heckle. They can literally heckle you. And most speakers have never dealt with that. Comedians have, but most speakers have. You have to be able to handle that on my topic. And I see those as golden learning opportunities. And my clients love it. They're like, we no matter what, I I literally work with everything from the Pentagon to the Naval Academy to, I was in the most rural communities yesterday in the state of Washington, tiny, tiny little high schools. We had three high schools attending. We still didn't have 400 people in the room. (laughs) I'm, I'm not exaggerating. So that tells you how small these schools are. And that's what they value because they know no matter what somebody says in that room, we're not gonna humiliate them to make a point.
0: Right, so when people are heckling, it's because of their discomfort around the idea of sexual behavior?
1: It is, it's around this idea that I might've done something wrong, And for me to change would have to be an acknowledge that I might not be doing it the right way now.
0: That's right. So So even though
1: I don't use shame or guilt, they can be playing it in their own
0: head. I got it. Exactly. They're
1: sitting there going, well, I've never asked. Now, wait, is something wrong with me? They're doing that in their head. Even though I'm releasing them of that, they can still do that. Well, I'm just going to push back because then I don't have to look at myself in the mirror, right? Right, If I just say, this is stupid. Nobody should ever have to ask. Oh, let's talk about that. You know, and they're taken back by that because they think I'm just going to shut them down. And so...
0: And so how do you, so when you say, let's talk about that, you start just asking questions like, why shouldn't you ask, you know? Yeah, it, so I won't, got-
1: even ask, I won't even ask that because if I ask that, they're going to hear it as defensive. Okay. So what i do is I'll dig deeper to why they believe what they believe. So oh, if okay. they say, I don't ever have to ask, I'll say, oh, well, why not? Well, I know what they want. Now they've given me the material depth,
0: Okay. Right?
1: As soon as they go, well, I know what they want. Oh, well, how do you know? Well, I can just tell Well, how? Well, body language. Okay. Is it possible your partner could give you the same body language in consecutive nights and they mean different things? Now, anybody with common sense will go, of course that's happened. Of course. If they try to be, that would never happen. I'll turn to the audience and go, audience, is it possible your partner could give you the same look two nights in a row. They don't mean the same thing. The whole audience now yells, yes, now you're on an island. I'm trying to help you out here. <laughs> in this situation, uh, you know. So it's I'm not trying to humiliate you. I'm trying to help right. you out. Can you acknowledge that's possible? So it's helping them recognize. Oh, maybe, maybe what I thought was not correct coming into this.
0: Right. Wow. So that's amazing. Would you advise? What would you advise a young person starting out to get to follow you in your footsteps? Are you, yeah. Or are you training anybody to follow in your footsteps?
1: <laughs> well, I I'm I actually, because of doing this work for 30 years, I fortunately have a wonderful reputation in both my work and in the speaking industry. Mm-hmm. So I do have speakers and entrepreneurs and sort of CEO trailblazers that hire me to help them learn these skills. Oh, okay. Because it is a skill set. This is not just a gift you're born with. Oh, you right. have to learn these skill sets, it's a strategy. So absolutely. So one of the things we teach people is to lead with curiosity. When people are in front of a room, they think they have to be right. If I'm focused on being right in front of the audience, it's all about me. That's right. If I'm focused on being curious, maybe I'm wrong. Let's find out, right? So it allows everybody to have a more open conversation and it allows me not to judge you for your answer versus how can they say that? I mean, they know what I do. (laughs) They know my background versus, oh, that's curious. I wonder why they're saying that.
0: That's really interesting. Huh. Well, it sounds to me like a very large part of what you do is listen.
1: It's everything.
0: It's everything. Tell me about that. Tell me about the importance of listening in your work.
1: Yeah, because if I assume what they mean when they push back, as an example, it just takes them going, that's not what I was thinking. And I look like a fool because I made an assumption. If I listen, you might have noticed earlier I said that's when they give me give me the gold because I'm yes. listening for the gold. Yes. I'm yes. always listening for the gold. So the mistake we make in human interactions isn't anything to do with being a speaker is the moment we think we've got the gold we stop listening. And that's the danger point because anybody who's ever been in a relationship knows this is we've all done this. You're in an argument with your partner. They start off the first 5 to 10 seconds with their argument, you already have created Your argument back based on the first 10 seconds, you are not listening anymore. That's right. Now they shift where they went in the next 30 seconds. You are arguing back with the first 10 seconds. They are enraged that you did not listen to them for the whole 45 seconds. And they are correct. You did not listen to them because you were focused on responding instead of listening. So the, the gift here is can you listen all the way through and see the gems throughout, not just look for the first one. And I, hey, what, else, what else are they going to give to me here?
0: That's right, and it's difficult because if you're not trained, because I teach listening uh, at a very different level, um, I teach people how to listen to emotions instead of words. And when you pay when you pay attention to emotions, you don't get distracted, and you're yes. no longer focused. You're no longer focused on what you were just saying, uh, marshaling your own arguments and the facts and the evidence for your. For your counter argument right you you don't do that when you listen to emotions when you listen to emotions you're totally focused on just being present in the moment and, and but the problem people have is they get distracted or or their partner says something that emotionally triggers them mm-hmm. and now their brain goes flying off you know the deep end in an emotional craziness and it take it takes it takes a lot of skill and practice to not to not get into that
1: it does. Think- it does it does yeah, and sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you there. No, um, no, no. I, I agree 100%. And, and it's one of the things we talk to people about. You know, like you said, hey, listening to emotion. Yeah, it's so important. We talk about, is there enthusiasm there with consent? Not did uh, I just get a yes. Interesting, Because the word yes does not mean I want to.
0: <laughs> That's right.
1: It might mean that I'm succumbing to this, even though I don't want to.
0: I really don't want to. But yeah. I'm saying so I'm yes, because... Go- I'm pressured to say yes.
1: I think I have to say yes. We're in this situation. Even though you might not be threatening me, I can personally think it's mean to say no in this situation. So I'm just going to give you pity intimacy. Right. Which happens in marriages. All the time. Well, you know what? I owe you something. No, you don't. You don't owe your partner anything sexually. But they've been taught that somewhere in their life you owe that. And that's where combining what you said, listening to the emotions and then making sure their words match the emotions. Because, as you know, if they don't, there's also a story going on there.
0: That's right. Well, conflict, what I, so we what want I te- that Yeah. And so what I do is I teach people how to reflect emotions. So I'd say, oh, you're feeling a little anxious right now. You're concerned or you're upset. Yeah. And you don't you don't paraphrase the words themselves. You, you what you do is reflect back the emotions they're experiencing.
1: Yeah, I love that. Well, and you know, paraphrasing is a danger place because it's very dangerous. One change of word, I didn't say that. That's right. Right. So, and and a beautiful phrase to be able to use in this, and you're you're fully aware, uh, is you know the story I'm telling myself. Because then it's not that you did that. It's right. This is the story I'm telling myself. So the story I'm telling myself is you're really mad right now.
0: That's exactly right.
1: Is that is that a true story or a false story? Because I don't want to assume it's true. Just but you don't I'm... even
0: but but the beauty of it is you don't even ask whether it's true or false. Just says, you're okay. you're really angry right now. You're really pissed off. And I just stop. And then they're gonna assess where they are. And if they are pissed off, they'll say, yeah. And if they aren't, they'll say, No, I'm not pissed off. I'm just upset. Oh, you're really upset and frustrated. Yeah. You never yeah. ask, uh, I've learned that you never ask somebody a question about what they're feeling because sometimes they don't know what they're feeling and if they don't know what they're feeling. They're going to get irritated and annoyed that you're asking them for the same reason that you talked about before that they, they feel like they're being shamed or they're stupid or something. So we yeah. avoid asking questions. How did you learn how to listen? You <laughs> got it, man. You got it really well. How, how'd, how you learn? Uh,
1: well, you know, uh, a couple of things I was, it was a requirement for me to succeed. And so it, early on, it wasn't intentional. It was in some way, natural to get to where I had to be, to be effective. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't sitting there going, I have to be able to listen. It was the art I learned along the way, but I would, to be fair here, I had mentors. And so the first time I started speaking in classes, I had a few mentors, professors would bring me in all the time. And then they'd sit me down afterwards and they go, Mike, when you engage in these sort of role play conversations, the room lights up. Like it just, the energy changes in the room. And that's when I was asking the audience, open to questions, letting them answer and then realizing, and then I would learn if I jumped too early, which is what we're talking about, uh, People, the room got, def- the percentage of the room got really defensive. It might be a small percentage, but it's probably the group I want to get through to the most, That's right. it's getting defensive. So then I realized, oh, wait, what if I back that up? This isn't about, once again, this isn't about me proving a point. I'm there to connect with the audience, and so it's all about them. And when I, and that took years to learn because there was a while where it's like I've got I've got 45 minutes and I got my point to make because this is why they brought me here, versus I have 45 minutes to be present for this audience and try to shift their potas, possibilities, potentially their lives.
0: What kind of so your your, your talks are typically 45 minutes to an hour.
1: Typically, yep. I mean, there are exceptions where they bring me for a full day workshop, but the majority are right. forty minutes. To so, an
0: hour. when you, what do you think your effect is on people in a in in forty five minutes to an hour?
1: Yeah, Doug, I always love that question because there are there are people who are sort of. and you're not implying this. I didn't get that implication. No, of course there are not. People that are that are anti speakers. that go, "How much can someone's life be changed in one hour?" That that you sort of get that attitude, right? And I go, and anybody who says that to me, I go curious. Have you ever had somebody in your life say something to you in 10 seconds that rocked exactly, you? Exactly. Exactly. And, and everybody's like, oh yeah, I remember my dad, my mom, my aunt, a teacher. So how many times could that have happened in an hour? Yeah. The, the problem is so many bad versions are out there. <laughs> I know. But you know what I mean? That's the truth that <laughs> yeah. people went to and they went, what a waste of my life, what a waste of an hour right. that they can't remember the times that were golden.
0: Right. And 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 what you're trying to do is you're not teaching a skill. You're you're doing a mind shift set. You're doing a a, a mindset shift. You're trying yes to shift and. people's attitudes.
1: Yes, and
0: and teach a skill.
1: Absolutely. Okay. Here, here's why. If I if I get to the mind shift of wow, I should be giving my partner a choice, and the ultimate way to give somebody a choice is you ask them. That's the right. mind shift. And, and most people get there, but like that, this makes sense. Even though we weren't taught it, it makes sense. Right. If I don't show you how to. Uh, there you go. You will have paralysis by analysis in the actual situation. Right. So I've got to show you the skill set and I've got to make it so simple that you're walking out going, I can't wait to try asking. <laughs> that's the, that's where the mind shift meets the skill set. That's and right. How people get enthusiastic that's about right. their life.
0: Too many people are saying, t- talk about what, but never show the how.
1: That's exactly right. Or they play the game of, if you buy my book in the back of the room, you can get Right, exactly. Right? So, so now I let in, and I actually, that's manipulative. And I, that's, well,
0: I, yeah, you know, it's frustrating too. I it hate is. that.
1: So, so my mindset is, look, they hired me to come in here and do the work, not to lead you to something else you need. Right. So I'd rather do less topics in an hour that completely give you the skill set with each topic, than cramming more information in.
0: How do you how do you adjust your presentation for your the age of your audience? Because I know you work in mi- middle schools. Is that where you, the the youngest That's you the work? That's the
1: youngest. With? Is, se- okay. is sixth, seventh, and eighth is the youngest.
0: Yeah, and that yeah. and for them, sex is really touchy because they're just coming into puberty and
1: yeah, here's it's
0: a weird time of life. They're the best audience.
1: They are here's why. It's the first time they're allowed to talk about it out loud.
0: Oh, really? Yes, of course. Oh,
1: yeah. It's it's almost never. So suddenly, and I do it very subtle. Here's the key to my work. I make sure the audience says that I don't. Mm-hmm. The reason that's important is if I say it first, I could lead you down a path that isn't true for you. If I ask you what your path is, and you tell me this is the life that you're seeing around you at this place in your life, I'm responding to your life.
0: Right. Now,
1: why that's important is if I'm in a middle school, and I say, are people dating in middle school? And they're like, yeah. And I go, okay, what does that mean? They hug, they hold hands. And I go, great, is that where it stops? And they start giggling. And you go, well, why are we giggling? Is that not where it stops? And they're like, no, it doesn't stop there. And I'll say, well, what else are you referring to? And you all middle school students say, sex. And the whole room's, and I'll say, okay, let's just to be fair, that's one student's response. Do you hear about that happening in middle school? And the room yells, yes. Hmm. Now by doing it this way, I can pause and go, wow, we have a really serious situation. Could you all agree that's a really serious decision being made in middle school? And they're like, yes, it is. So they get serious, we're able to get serious and we're actually able to back up and go, let's pause and see how did it get to this place? What happens is they recognize by this method, I'm not ready for this. And the fact that we're hearing about it doesn't mean that it's something we should be doing at our age yet. We're not ready for this. If I had Doug walked in that room and said, now this percentage of middle school students are engaging in sex, there'd be parents calling, there'd be people protesting, because I brought it up. But the fact that I don't bring it up, and all I ask is, is there anything more going on? And they they tell me, they lead me. uh, What are you going to get upset about if you're a parent? Because they're telling you what they're hearing, and we're giving them skills to actually slow that down to be in a safer situation.
0: So the it sounds like the kids really eat it up.
1: The, absolutely. Here's the coolest part. We survey every audience. Uh-huh. So we get to see, as soon as we walk off stage, exactly what the room thought. And I don't mean on a scale of one to 10, did you like the speaker? That's right. who cares? Right. That exactly. doesn't mean any change occurred. Right. So ours are, what are you going to use from today? Open-ended. So I can't mm-hmm. believe you. Uh, how would you describe this to somebody who wasn't here? Right. Now, then we also have quantitative ones, like scale of one to five. Are you more likely to ask first? Scale of one to five, you're more likely to intervene for somebody in danger. Scale of one to five, are you more likely to support survivors? The numbers are 93 to 97% are more likely to do all three behaviors. And then in the open end, if they're like life-changing. I'm going to ask first from now on. You see commitment, and they weren't led there. Like they they didn't pick from those. That just was in their mind at that right. moment. That's what makes this work so exciting is you get to see people making the shift and enthusiastic about the next move.
0: And so, so the adults in the room, are they, did they get uncomfortable with, with any of this? Oh, sure. Because
1: <laughs> I mean, think about it. How was our call? How was our generation raised about this? We poor, didn't talk poor, about poorly, it? if at all. That's correct. So that's true of the adults in the room in this situation. Mm-hmm. And what you get is adults coming up going, I wish we had this when I was in school. Yeah. And when they say that to me, I'm like, so do I. I wish (laughs) I knew what I know now doing this work when I was that age. That would have made things a whole lot easier.
0: Yeah, wow. So you go from middle school, then you go to high schoolers. What are high schoolers like?
1: Yeah, so high schoolers, here's the difference. Middle school, I said, are they dating? High school, we're immediately going, imagine you're on a date. So that's already the shift.
0: You was just assuming.
1: We're going to say that you're on a date. Now, that doesn't mean you wanted anything sexual, but you're on a date. We right. can make that jump and nobody's offended. They're like, okay, we right. know people are dating. Uh, and then we get into the party scene. Now, sometimes we get into that in middle school, but the party scene with the alcohol and drugs where the sex right. is being attempted. So there's different pieces. Now you get to the university. Now we're talking about, well, what about more than a kiss? All right, so what about somebody wants to have sex or they want to do certain sexual acts? Okay, that's university. We get to the military. Now we add in, what about sex and marriage? Wow. So, what does that look like? How does this consent discussion occur between two married people? What are myths and stereotypes of that culture? So you can see each group completely adds a new element That's It right. still has all the original middle school elements at some level. It's just getting a more advanced discussion based on their age.
0: What kind of what kind of response do you get from the military people? Because I mean, you can be talking to both enlisted and officers, and or both. That's right.
1: And, That's right. I do. There
0: is very different cultures.
1: Yeah, I can be talking to an eight-year-old just out of boot camp. And in that same audience could be a three-star general, a, wow. a two-star huh. admiral. It, it happens. So uh, here's what we have found with the military. They love it. And here's why. It's not death by PowerPoint. Yes. <laughs> and it's not you should feel shame and guilt for who you are. Right. Which the two things they dread the most. One, I'm going to walk in the room and it's going to be death by PowerPoint. Two, I'm going to walk in the room and tell me how evil I am, how awful I am. And so why do I want to listen to this? There's nothing engaging for me because it's accusatory. Right. Uh, and so as soon as we're saying, hey, let's just talk about what we can do better. People are like, oh, okay. And you get people laughing. Like every program I do, there's humor in the first few minutes, if not first 30 uh-huh. seconds. Because that just breaks the barrier down. To, oh, this is different. Never humor at the trauma. Obviously, we're never right. making humor at sexual assault. Humor at the ridiculous myths we've been taught.
0: Right. Interesting. Wow. So do you do our are, are I'm sure in your audiences you've had people who've been sexually traumatized. Um, do they ever confront you or talk to you or
1: yeah, it's one raise of the their greatest, trauma? It's one of the greatest gifts of my work is when a survivor comes up and shares a hey, story. My, today was the first time I ever felt strong or courageous, was sitting in this program. Wow. And we get that kind of language because that's how I talk about survivors. Mm-hmm. So often when survivors are in the room on this topic, they hear words like rape uh, ruins lives. That is a horrific statement to make to any audience because you just implied to every survivor in the room, your life's ruined. That's right. That is not fair to the survivor. Now That's- to say that rape is a horrific crime and survivors are incredibly strong, courageous individuals, both can be true, both are true, and that allows survivors to see a path forward mm-hmm. versus Dig them deeper into pain.
0: Wow, guys, the work you're doing is amazing. This is really, this well, is really, you, this this is really cool. Listening to all of this, so where, where, where? What's what's the future look like for you and your work? Do you can are you expanding? Continuing to do the same thing? I, I going to keep. I,
1: I love what I do. There, the, I mean, I genuinely love being in front of these audiences doing the work. People say, "Well, will you ever retire?" Nope. I might do less. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I might do less, but right. I'm in my zone, you know. And so most people who get to do for a living what's in their zone, what fires up their fuel, you're not looking to retire. You're looking to do less as you get older because the body. I mean, I I've learned recently I need to slow down. There are differences in being on the road 100 days a year versus that's being on the road 50 days a year. That's a lot. That is a lot. And so you learn. Hey, I I can still make a difference in the world and not be on the road 100 days a year. That that's right. a difference. And and it's what led me into speaker coaching because oh, okay. are, what's something you're really good at, Mike, that doesn't take you on the road either? And I, I grew up in coaching. My mom was a coach. My sister's a coach. Oh, I was a coach. I was an athletic coach before being during my speaking run in the early years. So coaching is in my blood. So now to get to help other people. Do this with their audiences, it just it's another rush. So those those are the two ways.
0: <laughs> Let's talk can... about that for a second. I I, yeah. I didn't realize you were a speaker, speaking coach. So what kind of a clientele do you have as a speaker? My
1: clientele coach? is normally gonna be one of two, one oh. of three people. One, uh, somebody who's speaking and they wanna be better. That okay. is yeah, obviously a good fit. Uh, number two, somebody who's a CEO, solo entrepreneur potentially, and they want, they're getting opportunities to speak. They want opportunities to speak and they just want to be more impactful. They are mission driven. They want to be more impactful from the stage. Okay. And then number three, the author, the author or the person who's got a mission they're already on, but they're not getting on stages when they are on stages. It's it's almost painful to watch. They right. mean, well, they're telling a good story, but it's hard to connect with the audience who is not my client is here's how to make a million dollars speaking in the next six months. <laughs> that's not going to be my client, uh right. because I want, I love people who are mission driven and I love helping them bring their mission to the forefront of their work and have a massive impact doing that. And that's who I, who I'm seeking. So when I meet the person going, well, can you help me get this many gigs in three months? I will tell them that we're not going to be a good fit.
0: Right. Right. That's not, that's not what you're about. Yeah. No. What what is it, though? What are the top three things that you see in people that they can improve to improve their public speaking?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, let's start with one. Shorten the story. Oh, my goodness. If you watch most people's story tell, they tell you they're telling you a story instead of putting you in the story. Mm-hmm. The difference in that is dramatic. Right. So if I say, Doug, let me tell you this story. So in this story, I'm going into the store. And while I'm in the store, I'm walking down the aisle. Who cares you're walking down the aisle? Right. If you just said, Doug, I'm in the store. This guy comes around the corner. I'm scared for my life. Now, imagine that versus, and I come around this corner. This guy's there. He's about six foot five. He's about this. He's about that. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what's going to happen And all this? I did it in 10 seconds which right. you are spending three minutes doing. Right. So shorten the story, put me in the story. And here's how you put somebody in the story. You stop and go to the audience. What would you be thinking in that moment? Now the story's my story, the audience, because I'm the story's. I'm turning it to be me there.
0: Instant engagement.
1: It's huge impact. Because right. now somebody's going, I do this, I do that. And it's not about Mike anymore. Right. And here's how you know you've done a great job as a speaker. You walk off stage and they don't remember your name. <laughs> that's how you know they remember the speech they like people call me oh that's the can i kiss you guy they don't remember my name right they remember the lesson they took from the speech that's the art of making a difference in people's lives versus the art of selling there are people who are going to teach a totally different approach and that's the art of selling from the stage and that's about getting your next book in the hands of everybody in the audience right versus am i here to serve that's right and, and so if you're there to serve Let your audience be the story, not you be the story. So that's a key one. That's a really critical one. And then along the same lines, three things in an hour. That's it.
0: Three points. You
1: are giving me more than three skill sets in an hour. You are overwhelming the brain of the human being. They're not built to do that. We are wired for threes. So keep it to three, which means now you got three 15 to 20 minute sections, each one with the conflict of the speech, like why they're not doing that already, each one with a barrier to freedom of that, each one with a new solution for that, and somewhere in there a story, now you have a mini speech that I just gave you the formula for, (laughs) 15 to 20 minutes, you just got to write three of those and you have a one-hour speech.
0: Wow, wow, excellent. All right, we're coming to the end of our half-hour talk. I have one more question for you. This has been an amazing talk. Um, What's one thing about yourself That we wouldn't know unless you revealed it to us.
1: That it took me 52 years to learn to surrender.
0: 52 years to learn to surrender.
1: Yeah, because I'm 53.
0: Yeah. Interesting. 50 seems to be a magic number because I know my life didn't start to change until I turned 50. And
1: right yeah, up I was the, on the journey for many years before that. You were an attorney? I was in the, no, I was on the, I was on the journey. Oh, journey. Yeah. For many years before that, but right. it took that year, it took last year. It took last year right. for me to recognize, I believed in surrendering. I loved Michael Singer's book, Surrender. I thought right. the Surrender Experiment, I believed in it. I didn't realize what it meant. I didn't, so many of us in this uh, sort of trailblazing, or you're trying to make movements happen in the world, we don't realize how much we can get caught in the control even though we don't see ourselves as controlling individuals right we think to make things happen it's got to go this way and that way and we right. don't realize that's our plan that's not the universe's plan that's right what if we surrender and if we look back we can look where the universe had control all along we that's just right. thought we were the one that's right here. That. driving So right. learning to surrender and release that also releases a lot of anxiety that we don't call anxieties entrepreneurs. We call hyper energy.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and when
1: people meet me, they used to do, wow, he's so high energy. Uh, yeah. that's, that's great. Is it grounded? So on stage it is, but what about when I'm off stage? Right. Is it grounded or is it because it can be frenetic at times? And right. so learning to ag- allow that to ground itself.
0: Really important really important yeah. lessons. Well, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful conversation. I know the audience, my audience really appreciated it too.
1: Well, thank you. For having, like I say, I love your energy, Doug. You you, you, oh, thank you bring you. such a wonderful smile and warmth and curiosity of the conversation. It makes it awesome.
0: You're welcome.